Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. The debtor-creditor relationship has long been intertwined with the perceived shame associated with the failure to pay one's debts. Social stigma has been a feature of U.S. bankruptcy law since the beginning. Scholars have long studied the issue, and policymakers in the past attributed a decline in the stigma attached to bankruptcy as an explanation for the rise in filings during the 1980s and especially 90s. The legislative history of the 2005 amendments indeed is sprinkled with a reference to the destigmatization of bankruptcy. But is this enduring perception accurate? Does public perception of stigma lead to an increase in personal bankruptcy? Our guest today has some thoughts based on some new data. Michael Souza is Associate Professor of Law at the University of Denver Sturm College of Law. His article, The Persistence of Bankruptcy Stigma, is the lead piece in the summer 2018 issue of the ABI Law Review, and he's here today. So welcome, Professor Souza. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for having me. So the findings of your study suggest that bankruptcy stigma has steadily increased from the advent of the 1978 Bankruptcy Code to the present. Tell us about your study and what you uh, what you learned that, that's new. Sure. Um, let me take a little bit step back, and you're absolutely right that notions of stigma have been peppered throughout not only our U.S. bankruptcy law history, but bankruptcy law history throughout the entire world. And the narrative since the 1978 Bankruptcy Code has been ebbs and flows of whether there is still increased stigma or a decreased stigma. And in the article, I give you the literature background that scholars, including myself, have been debating this, particularly in the 1990s. So I, I had done past work on stigma, and quite fortuitously, I was looking at a data set, which I'll describe in a few moments if you'd like, that bankruptcy scholars haven't looked at before, and there are very few data sets, just quantitative data sets, that ask people about bankruptcy, ask surveys about bankruptcy. So I was looking at this data set called the General Social Survey, which is one of the most well-utilized and most well-known um, academic and policy-based research databases for the social sciences, and I just was trolling, looking to see if they asked questions about bankruptcy. And one question that they do ask their respondents, and the General Social Survey is or has run every two years from the 1960s, 1970s, all the way through to today. And they ask a really interesting question of their respondents. And, and the question is, do you think a person has a right to take his or her own life if one of the following things happens? And the three, the three of the four things are something like uh, if you have a terminal illness, if you have shamed your family, if you've lost the will to live. And the last one, the fourth is um, if you have gone bankrupt. And I looked at that thinking about stigma and bankruptcy, and it's incredibly interesting that even researchers uh, from University of Chicago would include bankruptcy among those other three categories of life events. In other words, and I began to think, pretty significant. 
So I wanted to study the relationship. And as I, as I tell you in my piece, um, I'm using that question as a proxy for bankruptcy stigma. In other words, how people react to the notion or perceive the notion about filing for bankruptcy. So what I've done in my study is tried to examine using that as a proxy for stigma. Has it changed over the past 40 years? And sorry for the long-winded answer, but, but what I found with doing some statistical analysis is essentially this question about stigma uh, as a proxy has steadily increased from 1977 until 2016, and it's new because it's a new data set, and to some degree, what is interesting about this study uh, and this data set is it's a nationally representative data set, surveys of Americans over time, including those who have and have not filed for bankruptcy. So it's predictive, and I ran a simple regression with several models, and what most stuck out in the different models is that the year is the most significant association to this stigma question, and when you actually plot the stigma regression line, what you see with some ebbs and flows, I'm sure, for economy and 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 cyclical nature and the 2005 amendment. But this stigma issue, if you accept that it's a decent proxy for the question, uh, has increased. And, and what I argue in the paper, um, that is evidence of um, or a retort to some of the history to the 2005 amendment and to other scholars um, who have argued that people are filing for bankruptcy because they don't care anymore. And there is no stigma, there's no shame, and, and no one has any more personal responsibility. So it's a new finding from a new data set. Right. Well, thanks, Mike. So we'll, we'll definitely get into the 2005 amendments um, more and if, in fact, um, there's a view that they were built on a faulty uh, foundation of, uh, of destigmatization. But one question I had, and this is really telling in, in uh, figure one of your uh, of your piece in the in the article, and that's the comparison of the the trend that you're describing of the of the stigma rate um, and the bankruptcy filing rate. Um, when we get to uh, 2010 um, and since 2010, uh, bankruptcy filings, consumer bankruptcy filings, have dropped 50 percent. Uh, we are at now levels seen in the 1990s, early 1990s. So. How does that align with the stigma number that continued to go up? Right. Well, this study, the, the, the regression that I did here with this data, um, and all candor can't answer that question with a causal basis. So, so I can't make that claim. What I can speculate and what I urge other researchers to do is, is the stigma issue one that is part and parcel of causing people to to lower the rate or decrease the bankruptcy filing. My speculation or my, my theoretical argument is perhaps the narrative over the last 15 or 20 years in this country of personal responsibility and neoliberalism and all of the things that Professor Linda Coco has argued in, in her papers as well, has that had an effect on the public 
large. And in their sense of not only just bankruptcy filings, but other things and other aspects of social life, um, maybe that is a capital C cause of um, the lower rates of bankruptcy. I can't say that with definitive from this study. Uh, I think it's an element to it, but I also think, and it might be the stronger argument perhaps for someone else to explore one day, is, is it just a function really of the economy? I mean, it could be the case where people's awareness, their attitudes about personal responsibility are heightened, but the economy is doing so well that there's not a need to file uh, so many consumer bankruptcies. Interesting. You talk about narrative. Um, is, it, is it possible um, also, um, probably speculating, but in the sense that during this time period, um, the consumer public, uh, if you will, has witnessed um, large companies um, and all different sorts of uh, industries and sectors, household names and retailing and airlines and energy and automobile companies filing for bankruptcy without much of an impact on, you know, on, on them. You know, uh, General Motors files, but, you, you know, your GM car still gets serviced and, and you know, they're still in business and, and, and you're still flying on airlines that have been through Chapter 11. To what extent do you think that has an impact on public perception of, of what bankruptcy means? Yeah, and I'm going to flip the question a little bit. For this reason, um, Todd Zwicky in articles in the 90s and, the, and late 90s and 2000s make, makes that argument, essentially that all these public personalities respond bankruptcy large companies um, kind of tampers down on bankruptcy is a bad thing, that, that idea. Let me suggest this, and, and I, I'm doing this not from this study, but from the qualitative work I do, and um, interviewing um, hundreds of debtors over time. Uh, and I ask about stigma and their identity and, and what they feel about the process. And very seldomly will a, a person raise big business or, or a celebrity. What people say all the time to me is they know someone who filed bankruptcy. My coworker, my family member, the, the numbers of people in the same family, extended family, and even parents and, and siblings, um, that have filed bankruptcy, the water cooler effect, as opposed, not big business, not public personality, but people in your social network, that's huge. And I think that is a tremendously significant um, event for people's lives. When they hear that someone, their employee, their coworker, their employee, their family member who went through the process and who came out on the other side, perhaps, uh, better off financially, less psychological stress, uh, less family problems because of the debt. I think that is much more meaningful and has impact um, on people willing to file for bankruptcy. Um, it, it, the refrain that I've, I've heard in my interviews has been, um, you know, so-and-so, my friend did it, and she actually recommended that I do it because she was better off. So that's, that's my answer, Sam. It's for someone else to study if there's really a, a causal effect between big business and celebrities, I think that's just a rabbit hole. So um, the the sort of Donald Trump illustration of uh, companies that he has famously uh, put in uh, to bankruptcy through uh, through Chapter yeah. Eleven, yeah. you know, voters 
didn't seem to hold it against him, even among those in the cohort that you were trying to measure these subcategories of, of uh, religious or conservative or um, uh, social, social conservatives, um, you would have thought that would have been a negative, um, but it didn't seem to occur that way. Well, yeah, here's the problem, though. Uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll graciously push back a little bit. You know, was it really the issue of Trump has filed for bankruptcy, so it must be an okay thing to do, and I'll still vote for him, and that will will it affect my outlook on bankruptcy, or um, perhaps I don't have a problem with his bankruptcies, or even if I do have a problem with his bankruptcies, I am so concerned with a religious judge and a conservative judge, and I'm so concerned that I don't like Hillary Clinton, and I'm so concerned about the demographic changes in the country that I'm going to overlook, uh, even if I have a problem with the bankruptcies, and still vote for Trump. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Lots of variables, totally, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk about the 2005 amendments. You alluded to this in the paper, certainly, about um, how the stigma issue um, was regularly uh, cited by uh, members of Congress um, uh, and um, the, the industry forces that were supporting uh, changes to the, to the bankruptcy uh, code. Uh, in a direction that made the law demonstrably less debtor-friendly. What, what does your study, um, and other studies for that matter, uh, suggest about, about that uh, threshold premise that, that Congress apparently had? I think this, my nice little neat study here, I think supports other people's empirical findings of the means test. And, and I forget the names, but I've read studies where, you know, the, the percentage of people that are trapped by the means test, and that's, again, um, a, a proxy for can pay debtors who are abusing the system. I think it's 3 to 10% at most. Um, so I think what this study does, to some degree, is triangulate those findings and say, well, the 2005 amendments, which, as you rightly suggest, the legislative history is peppered with personal responsibility and no stigma. Um, and, and it suggests that based upon this attitudinal question in my study of how bad bankruptcy is or should I be stigmatized by it, in conjunction with we're not really trapping a whole bunch of can-pay debtors who are shirking the system, together suggests that the premise, and this is my argument, the, the premise behind the 2005 amendment being driven by, in my outlook, uh, personal responsibility um, was wrong. Uh, and I think it was miscalculated. And there are bankruptcy scholars, I'm sure, who will disagree. I, I would suggest the majority would agree, though. All right. Understood, for sure. Well, Michael, uh, we are about uh, out of time, but this is really a fascinating insight into uh, a new look at a question that's been uh, the subject of uh, a considerable study over the years. The ABI's Commission on Consumer Bankruptcy will be reporting its findings in, uh, in 2019, and I expect your article and, and papers like it will help inform uh, their work. So I thank you for that, and thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
And we thank our audience for joining us as well. There are more than 200 podcasts archived in the newsroom section of ABI's website. Please check them out. Until next time, then, this is Sam Giordano for the American Bankruptcy Institute saying good day. (laughs) 